And I am now joined by the beautiful, the wonderful, the Beyonce of Derry, Aoife Moore, a political correspondent for the Irish Examiner. Hello, Aoife. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Um, we were just talking about Halloween in Derry because it's like big news. It's, I learned about this when I read Seamus O'Reilly's book. Yeah. And you have confirmed it. It's the biggest Halloween festival um, in the world now. We beat Salem. Um, we're the biggest Halloween festival in the world and it's amazing. Everyone dresses up. I would tell you to go up there, but I would guarantee you're not get a hotel room now because <laughs> for next week. But it's absolutely amazing. Can't recommend it enough. And when you said everyone dresses up, you were like bin men. Oh, bin men. Like you go one day a bank and someone's dressed up. Like it's, it's uncool. Do you think you're too cool to dress up? I have to go. It's amazing. It's not going to happen this year, but I, I'm going to Go make next it year. Book next it year. Yeah, 100%. Um, anyway, we've got lots to talk about outside of Halloween, um, and we are starting with COVID-19. Yeah, I don't have good news. <laughs> yeah, so um, following on from last week and we saw like the cases are going up again. It is a bit different, we know, because 93% of us are vaccinated. But yesterday we had 2,466 new cases. That's the highest level of new cases since January. So things are getting dicey. I was in Brussels with the Taoiseach during the week and he said they are concerned, you know, we're heading into winter now, which is also flu season. There's going to be less and less people drinking outside or meeting outside because of the cold weather. So they're basically saying everyone needs to kind of double down again. I think everyone, because we're vaccinated, maybe we are a bit more lax. We mm. are a bit more um, easy going with it. But, you know, as we're trying to get businesses and everything back open again, it's really important to... Um, basically go back to the basics with the masks and the hand washing and I know it's so boring like I'm so sick of hearing it as well but also the it's the pressure on the health service that they yeah. that they can't deal with and we know, well, already know there's already so many people in ICU Yeah I was going to say because obviously an increase in numbers would make sense as we return to normal and mm -hmm. we're all spending more time together but how is that translating into hospitalizations? Yeah well this is the thing so Paul Reid the chief executive of the HSE basically said you know coming into winter he wants everyone to have a bit of a rain check he said you know like the number of weekly cases was 10,675 last week um, and that's those aged 14 or younger accounted for 22% of the mm. cases. So basically he said winter is always tough on the health service as it is mm. and we're seeing rising case numbers of people in hospital and in ICU and a lot of them are vaccinated as well. This is the other thing, you know, just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean, you know, you're totally immune and people yeah. have a number on, and you can have a number of underlying conditions or whatever. So I think, yeah, the rain check is the words that, HS, that the HSE chief used and I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Okay, and then of course in the context of that there was a whole... I don't know what even word to use, kerfluffle, like seems too minimal, but there was a mess this week regarding yeah. restrictions because obviously, you know, it was supposed to be that yesterday was the, the big day, mm -hmm. almost everything was being lifted mm -hmm. and then it wasn't. Yeah, so... Um so <laughs> nightclubs reopened last night. I'm sure everyone saw the videos on social media of the queue for coppers. Fair play to anybody who queued for that. Um, I would all, I read this morning actually that the Guardi reported no incidents oh, last good. night. Yes, yeah, the first night of like the curfew being lifted. So I thought that was good. But basically, the plan was to let re uh, nightclubs and late bars to reopen last night. Um, at one point. On the Friday evening, there was the officials were still meeting with the sector at tea time. 
uh, around six o'clock. Just incredibly. And that's like tickets already had been sold, obviously, for events last night. Yeah, there was so much confusion over the guidelines. Um, everything was left to the last minute. You know, I seen Sunil Sharp, who runs that Give Us the Night, was saying it basically comes down to the nightlife sector. Don't feel like the government trusts them. Mm. You know, at the 11th hour last night, everyone went out and, you know, there was the guidelines and then the government came out last night and said, from next week onwards, you will have to have a ticket to go to a nightclub. You'll not be able to just walk in. The nightlife sector said this is not feasible for them. You know, a lot of their businesses, people just walking off the street. You know, you go out for a few drinks and then you end up... Yeah, I saw a tweet this morning that was like, how can I buy a ticket for something that I swear I'm not going to do until 10 minutes beforehand? I think it was Laura Cunningham on Twitter. And like, that's what Sonia Sharp was saying. It's like, we don't feel trusted. And I think it's fair enough. You know what I mean? Like, they have already have these guidelines. You have to have your vaccine search. You need to wear your mask. They need to do contact tracing. And they're already going to do all these things. But the government said not from next week. You'll need to have a ticket. And the ticket has to be bought in advance. So you can't buy the ticket on the door. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about people whose businesses have been gone. Just decimated days, over 600 for days, more than 600 days. Like these people are not going to fly fast and loose with things. They're not going to want to mess things up for themselves and for their colleagues in the sector. Like you have to at some stage have a bit of faith in people. Yeah, I know. And like how much longer are we going to do this and put all these restrictions on, on, one, on just one sector? And I think, you know, you can see why people are getting annoyed. You know, pubs and restaurants um, have their guidelines and then the nightclub's going to get their guidelines. But you, you, can order a bar, you can order a drink at the bar in a nightclub, but you can't order a drink at the bar in a bar. Um, you have to have table service. So there are different things. And like I think with nightclubs as well, the notion that you would sit down drink your drinks, go on the dance floor, have a dance and then put your mask on to go to the toilet. Like there's already so much guidelines and so many rules for people. Mm-hmm. I think it just adds an extra layer. And then a lot of this is like, you need to remember that like these businesses are cash strapped. They've been closed. Yeah. This is extra staff. If you need to sell tickets, that's like you're going to have to update yeah. your website or whatever else. It's just a lot more for these businesses to do. Yeah. And I can understand why they're so frustrated. It's very tricky. It's very, 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 very tricky. Um, now let's talk about the free contraception scheme. I saw so many hilarious memes of people that were like, I'm 26, I'm clearly some old bag because yeah. of course it's free contraception for air quotes young women uh, which means women aged 17 to 25 but we have details now when it's going to begin yeah so I think this is a good news story so free contraception for women 17 to 25 is going to begin in August 2022 it's still about a good bit away Stephen Donnelly the Minister for Health said that he needed this time to basically get his act together and you know, there's legislation and proposals that he needs mm. to put before government so it's going to cost around 20 million they think I think, honestly, this is only going to be a good news story. Like, 20 million is wee bonds when you consider, like, everything else that it could prevent. And yeah. So, on budget day, um, because we can't let the government away with anything, like, I asked the Minister for Finance, like, why isn't men, why aren't men involved in this? Is men not a conscious, is that not a men's issue, contraception? They said they will look at expanding it eventually but this was they had a report um, about you know access to contraception and this was the age group that they found there was barriers to contraception so it'll cover ah yeah yeah it'll cover the pill um, implant and you'll get two GP visits free GP visits a year to discuss contraception with your GP so it yeah. is good it's oh it, it's undeniably good like it's it's brilliant really and um, when you think about the lives that women in that age bracket are living and mm-hmm. how little money they usually have mm-hmm. and the decisions that they have to make I think it's absolutely fantastic fantastic to take the financial question out of it yeah. uh, when it comes to contraception. Now, this next story is just wild. And I think lots of people have been struggling to get their head around it over the last 24 hours. And it is Alec Baldwin having killed a woman on set of a film 
via firing a prop gun. Yeah, this is absolutely horrendous. So Alec Baldwin, the very famous um, actor, was filming this Western movie called Rust. Um, From what I read in the media, he was handed a prop gun by the assistant director. Um, He went out, they were, I actually don't think it was filmed, it seemed to be a rehearsal. And he fired the gun and there was live rounds in the gun and he shot the cinema, the director of photography and the director. Um, the director of photography was a woman called Helena Hutchins. She was originally from Ukraine. She's a wife and a mother. Um, from what I've read, a really talented person. She was airlifted to hospital and died in hospital. And it appears that it was, from what I've saw, a, a freak accident. Um, Alec Baldwin has been in touch with the police. The police have... Um, had a search warrant they've taken all his clothes and everything else and the gun from the set but I did read that the union um, involved with the filmmakers a few people had walked off the set that day because of the conditions the working conditions they were working in there had been concerns over health and safety beforehand it's just absolutely horrendous I was reading some of the tributes to um, Helena Hutchins uh, today she was born on a military base in the Soviet Union Mm. in Ukraine seemed to have like a really interesting life and seemed to be in a really really talented person it's just it's just devastating it's so sad it was the wildest story I've ever heard yeah it's I, I've been reading about it as well to try and kind of get my head around it and it seems like um you know it was kind of an old practice to use these type of bullets even on set around mm-hmm. guns that are used for filming um, and sometimes it's done as kind of a, a budget cutting thing okay. um because it costs to add things in post-production mm-hmm. or whatever um, and it's certainly starting a huge conversation but what an absolute tragedy that a young woman, 42, had to lose her life for that conversation to to grow um, and you have to feel for Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I know. I saw like there were some paparazzi pictures of him like outside the police station like crying his eyes out. Like you'll, you'll never get over that. No. That's so sad. And I also, I saw some of those photos too but I also thought I shouldn't be seeing these photos. Yeah. Like, like leave him alone yeah that's <laughs> you know what, what I, I mean? thought too and I was like it's a bit voyeuristic and then I was like does he know the camera was there all of it is just it's, it's just horrible. so depressing absolutely yeah. horrible um, okay now uh, Luxembourg is going to be the first place in Europe to legalise growing and using cannabis yeah good good days ahead for people in Luxembourg <laughs> everyone's going to be very chosen um, so adults in Luxembourg will be permitted to grow up to four cannabis plants in their own home Basically, um, I think, you know, the same argument that we saw in Canada and different parts of America is that they have failed to end demand when it comes to cannabis. Um, They know that the criminalisation of it hasn't been working. So there's a coalition government uh, there, the Liberals, the Greens, lol, uh, the Greens and the Social Social Democrats um, have come together and basically said, yeah, so they announced it on Friday. And it will be for recreational use. Um, you can buy seeds in shops and you can grow it yourself. You will not be allowed to sell it. This is not like right. an invitation for everyone to become weed dealers. But it's basically like they know that the ramifications of growing four plants in your home is a lot less than fueling a bigger drug industry. So that's why they've decided to do it. Right. So it's not like in California, say, where there are very yeah. upmarket kind of No, you're not going to be able to... It's not going to be like Amsterdam. So you're not going to be able to like go into a shop and like and just buy joints or whatever. Like it'll be four plants in your home, but that's it. 
Yeah, it's going to be so interesting to see this over the next number of years. Yeah, I think like more and more countries are just going to take this on. Do you know what I mean? It's it's such a low level thing at this stage, I don't think. Well, it seems, I mean, given the fact that already, you know, states, several states in America have done it, mm-hmm. Luxembourg is doing it, um, you know, it's been kind of going on in Amsterdam for mm-hmm. however long, like I presume, I think it's going to become harder and harder to argue against it. Yeah, especially if people then, like when you look at in America too, like the taxes that it brings in and stuff, and they've put that under like education system and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. It'll be the next thing, I think. Well, nice to end on that. Yeah. <laughs> Light Chill story. vibes, everyone. <laughs> um, Aoife, thank you so much. That's Aoife Moore, political correspondent at the Irish Examiner. Tell me, what's it like when you're... Uh, sorry, I have a minute now. I'm yeah. going to ask you. When you say you went to Brussels with the Taoiseach, what's that like? Like, are you just following him around? Yeah. Like, I just follow Michael Martin around most of my life anyway. But, um, yeah, like, he organises press conferences for us. Okay. We weren't allowed into the commission building because there was too many press there and they were like, nah, the Irish has to stay outside. But um, the Taoiseach organises press conferences for us and he comes to us. But uh, flew to Brussels with the Tanisha. He was on my flight. Got a wee wave at the airport. Oh, very Mate's good. <laughs> but I saw, I saw you, you posted a story on your Instagram stories and you guys were kind of sitting, on, like it looked like you were sitting on the floor in a corridor, yeah. filing copy, presumably on your laptops. Is that standard yeah. practice when you're travelling? Yeah, we were in the embassy, the permanent residence uh, in, in Brussels and we had nowhere else to go. We'd all had checked out of our hotels. Right. The teacher had a press conference and then they couldn't chuck us out because the press had nowhere else to go. So we were just sitting on the ground in the embassy filing copy while Letitia jaunts off to his next meeting. Such a glamorous life. Oh, I'm telling you, McCoy Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Eve. Louise McSherry on 2FM.